beyond that, I think uncertainty that's showing up right now, and you said it with your question, like it's uncertain what's going to be uncertain tomorrow. To be honest, I think that's the natural state of this, this world. And we as humans have for hundreds of years tried to create a machine that answers that uncertainty, like the Newtonian paradigm of seeing the world as a machine. And then all of our efforts through the industrialized economic system and the capitalistic economic system to create a certainty for tomorrow, to create stock markets, to create pension funds, to create income structures. I think we're seeing that they're just another version of illusion. Because right now, none of these things is really granted that it's going to be around in six months, right? People are losing their jobs in the millions. A lot of these ideas that we had for years that people can't work from home and like everybody has to go to work for five days a week, a lot of that suddenly isn't real anymore and people can totally work from home. And so I think the opportunity here is to find a higher degree of alignment or peace with uncertainty and understand uncertainty is nothing we need to fear, but we have to become present with every moment and every day and then realize what is the next step forward. Hi, this is Josh, and this is The Joshua Spodek Show, formerly Leadership in the Environment. I still bring you leaders in the area of the environment in the form of leaders and role models. Everyone treats stewardship like a burden or a chore, deprivation, sacrifice. So did I until I actually tried it seriously. It is a joy. Everything about it. We're here to share that joy. Meet amazing world-around people from all parts of life. Hear about them, what the environment means to them, and hear most of them find something meaningful to act on and then to share their experience. Why? Because stewardship and acting to help others for something greater than all of us creates about the greatest feeling humans can get, as does fresh air, clear water, delicious food, and clean land. That's what we're bringing you. I met today's guest, Julian Guterlai, after hearing an episode of his podcast featuring Wen Jie Ying. You might not know her, but she's the entrepreneur who founded one of the CSAs that I belong to in New York, which is, uh, that's an organization where I get my vegetables fresh direct from the farm. I learned more about his podcast. He hosts well-known guests to speak about the environment. Well, really more than the environment, how we interact with it and more. He also does solo episodes sharing his thoughts and editorial type things. He coaches on leadership. In other words, at a high level, he does work very similar to me. Likewise, he focuses on emotions, leadership, action, authenticity, but his voice is very different. So you'll hear from Julian a different approach to similar topics. I think I thought and processed more in this episode than the typical ones. It was more about, I don't know, on my part, I think I was listening more and absorbing more rather than steering him in a, in a particular direction. One of my first observations from his talking was on the speed of my thinking, which I think could be more relaxed. So I predict Julian will get you thinking too. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Julian Guterlai. How are you? Hi, I'm really good. Thanks for thanks for asking. Glad to have you here. And did I say it right, Guterlai? You're you're saying it perfectly, Julian or Julian, and then Guterlai. That's my that's my last name. I was a guest on the Green Planet Blue Planet podcast, and I don't mind if people stop right now and go and listen to that, and go to your podcast and listen to it. Your podcast is eerily similar to mine, but very different on in some ways. That you have amazing guests, uh, including guests that are that I've had, like Rob Greenfield, a friend of mine, Bruce Cryer. And then we met through your episode on Wen Jie Ying, who, from whom I buy my food in New York City. So she's an entrepreneur who I buy through her CSA. And then you also have a lot of episodes where you speak personally 
of your views on the environment, but also yourself and growth. And, and there's also a difference. I feel like, I think you're more West Coast or European and I'm more New York and East Coast. I'm not sure if that's the way I think of it. Well, that, that's maybe one of the differences. I think, um, let me just backtrack and, and share with, with listeners about the show. So it's called Green Planet, Blue Planet Podcast. Really, my, my intention is to place you have two visuals in people's minds. And this is a green planet, which is a planet with a thriving flora and fauna, or in, in other words, a planet where we plant one trillion trees to kind of um, not just counteract, counteract what we've created in the environment, but more so create a like an alignment or a, a form of harmony with the carbon cycle that, uh, that Earth has. And then Blue Planet, the picture of that is maybe even simpler to understand. is just clean water, clean air and water, which there's a lot of work to do to get to that place. And so, um, yeah, I had like an inner calling to start a podcast that, you know, kind of has a very unique name that once you get it, you, you won't forget it. And then the way I see it, multiple people in that, that includes you and I, might have a similar calling to start finding both conversations, personal growth, and then personal actions we can take to not just like fix the environment. That's really not my language. I would more so say like find harmony with the intelligence of nature. Yeah. And also not to do something that I also find a lot of people focus on facts and figures and doom and gloom. And yours is really, it's about emotion. I mean, you consistently come back if I read you right to action and commitment. And to me, it's, it feels very comfortable to hear but I feel like it's also, I feel like you're an outlier compared to a lot of others. But I like, I like your approach. Thanks for asking that. I think, you know, like it's pretty tough to judge yourself for every single action we're doing at this stage of our evolution. And we can, we can talk more about that in, in specifics. But I think, you know, what, what we are witnessing on this planet right now is that the current leadership and, and government across the planet, and there's, there's a bunch of really good examples, but there's also a bunch of examples where the word leadership is not really fully embodied in any way or sense of the word. And so it's, it's more like a, a leadership to, you know, self-enrichment or the, you know, a stronger economic or power stance. And so in my eyes, this is just not the leadership we need to evolve as a species or to learn to live in harmony with nature and the intelligence of nature. And so we can make a few examples of, of that where, you know, um, let, let's take the current president of the United States. I mean, through Donald Trump, we've really learned to not trust what politicians say and simply wait for the next thing they have to say on the next day. And so that's that's a very unfortunate way of, of leadership in my, in my eyes, because I think really we deserve a planet that, you know, we can't do everything right all the time because we learn through contrast as well, but we deserve a planet and a society where we're increasingly working together to find higher levels of harmony and higher levels of alignment with the intelligence that's present. And how does that manifest itself in your life? I know the people, I see the people you have on your show and I see you give a lot of talks to a lot of different audiences around the world. What's leadership for you? How do you manifest what you're talking about? It's a great question. I think there are multiple layers to it. At first, I think how it really manifests for me is that, you know, I had to, about 10 years ago, I quit a classical career in that sense and just decided I will continuously dedicate and commit myself to expansion of consciousness, to self-development, to self-realization, and then from there to what shows up. And so I would call this, in other words, purpose or, or planetary purpose. And so when purpose shows up and more than the purpose of, oh, I want to make a million dollars and let me build a company, but the purpose of being of service when that shows up, and this has very much shown up in my own life, prosperity follows. And prosperity in a sense of interconnectivity with different communities, with 
literally your personal needs being taken care of. And then also the prosperity of realizing that with every act of service, you're not just benefiting yourself, but it's like a sacred selfishness. You're benefiting yourself and others. And so I think this is one of the first um, things I could say how it manifests in my own life. And then you asked specifically about leadership. You know, leadership is a, it's a deeper topic because leadership is something that a lot of people in this current stage of our evolution, I would say, look at others for leadership. They look at their country, their company, their boss, their president uh, for leadership. And I believe, ultimately, we've we got to really learn to trust our own leadership and then communicate well enough together to find out what is a collective sense-making of this leadership. Because really, like, I believe our true superpower as humanity is collaboration. But in order to collaborate, we kind of need to understand that there's different ways of how individuals express, think, perceive. And so, so without a sense of deep listening or a connection to purpose, I don't really believe that we can lead into that place of, of coherence. And so that's kind of like an initial incident of what I understand or see as leadership. So you, you said that you left, I forget how you put it, a traditional career. Quotation marks, but yeah, traditional career. was. I used to work for BMW cars, which I would call like the German dream. I grew up in Germany. And so when I did that for two, three years, it was a great experience on some levels, but I realized it's just against my values. And even though it might be what um, my education system and my parents would have wanted for me, it really not just did it not feel feel right, but it, it left this like empty space in me where I'm like, what am I doing with this precious life? What am I doing with my life force energy? And what am I actually contributing to? And so little anecdote there, when that actually happened, when I quit my job, what happened was, you know, I was working in the event space. And so we were hosting an event and BMW dealerships would collaborate with us and bring their clients. And so a person was driving to one of our events in an electric car. This is 10 years uh, ago. And so that was even pre-Tesla being like a, a normalcy in that sense. And so what happened was this guy drove up to our event venue, gave me his electric charger cable for the car, handed me the cable. And I was like exaggerating now. I was like literally being like enlightened by this interaction. Like I, I received this cable into my hands and I was like, oh, wow. Holy shit. I, I think I have to quit my job because why am I supporting this wheel of infinite economic growth of uh, fossil fuels if there's already a solution like electric cars in the market and something we can make commonplace? And so I quit the job within a week, actually, after that happening. And, you know, maybe it would have made sense to say I want to invest my time and energy into furthering and promoting electric cars. But really, I had to take a break from that entire sector. And then from there, a deep and long space of inquiry began where I, you know, yeah, just just found all the tools that I was already connected to before, but I, I made day, a daily practice like meditation, different forms of yoga, different forms of breath work, some psychedelic explorations in, in you know, like more of a, a mindful setting to go deeper and deeper into self-inquiry. Partly I want to ask what happened about that process, but I want to jump to now and compare how you, and I'm asking this for selfish reasons, because I don't think people believe me when I say that I like my life more now. I think they think that, actually, I told you, I just had that conversation with my mom on a podcast episode. And she was like, I don't think she believes me that I, I really enjoy not flying. It's not the not flying that I enjoy. It's the community and connection and so forth. And how do you feel? And how would you have thought you had felt before the cable, the guy handed you the cable? And do people believe you? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good question. I think 
there's there's a variety of answers. So, you know, one of the things I've learned in that whole process is that reality is a matter of perception. And so even though we're all sharing this this planet Earth, we all experience it in a very different and very individual reality. And so people may want to believe you, but ultimately consistently see you through the eye of perceiving you from their perspective, right? And so mm-hmm. that means maybe you're sharing something like, hey, I, I don't fly anymore because I don't believe in this anymore. And I believe we can take better actions to, to retaliate. And people would be like, oh, that's interesting. But like, I can't even believe that. You know, that's that's not mm-hmm. that's not what I want to do. And so very similar for, for me in the beginning of those days, it was like for a lot of people in my social circles, like this intense amount of meditation. And then for about six to eight months, I, I didn't work. I didn't have like a, a classical job in that sense. I lived off my savings and just went deeper into the inquiry of what wants to birth. But at this point, you know, this is like, as I said, nine, 10 years ago now, I simply arrive deeper and deeper in the space of listening. So if somebody doesn't believe or doesn't want to believe, I can hear them out. I can, I can understand from which perspective they're coming and I can find the compassion or the, the tolerance and the space of, of letting that be and letting that be that person's perspective without needing to necessarily change it. And then coming back to that energy, energy that feeds me at this place where I'm at right now, where you know I publish three episodes a week, I have all kinds of conversations with, with people around the world and create a sense-making of collaborating with these people in, you know, you, you mentioned international events, speaking, public speaking, and, and all kinds of, of smaller projects that, that are kind of happening behind the scenes. Yeah, talking to you, I feel like uh, there's some things I, I'm not doing enough myself. Like, I feel like I probably, what's the word? I think too fast. I don't enjoy the moment as much as I could. How was that change for you? I mean, can you talk about, the, is it something you recommend for other people? Is it something you recommend for everyone? Or... Is it something that you would even have expected would come? Did you discover it? I think right now... I don't mind asking. No, this is a great question because right now, as you're asking this, uh, we're recording this on April 9th. You know, we're in the midst of the global pandemic that, that we know as coronavirus. And so I think a lot of people are right now in this situation where something they're doing is on pause or is possibly threatening not to exist uh, any longer. And so there's this chance for a lot of people right now to, you know, just go a little bit slower and connect a little bit deeper or even a lot deeper with the values that are actually um, beating in your heart, that are actually in your soul space. And so I don't recommend for everyone to instantly quit their job within a week. Um, certainly that, that worked for me, but it didn't come without hardship. And so that kind of hardship or that kind of contrast then again was a great teacher. And it made me incredibly resilient to be able to face uncertainty, which again, in this current global situation, we're facing uncertainty like we've possibly never faced it before on a collective level. And so I recommend for people, though, to deeply get in touch with their inner world. And so we, you know, we're so accustomed to taking external validation or external stimuli first. And like, what's happening on my newsfeed? What's happening in the social media sphere? What's happening in the newspaper? What's happening on the TV? And without needing to make that a bad thing, But if that's dominant over what you're paying attention to, what's happening in your internal space, I think we're actually living life in an upside down way because life sourced from the inside out has a very different quality than life sourced from the outside in. And so a way that we could make a pragmatic example about this, when I started Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast about two years ago, you know, there was a lot of meditation around that in, in what kind of voice do I want to share with the world? And then what kind of guests would I like to invite into the show? And so... Now, over the years, what what started to happen is that guests that 
possibly I was dreaming to interview, I was hoping to interview, naturally showed up in me meeting them either at events or me being introduced to them or them even reaching out to me, asking me to be on my show because this is what happens when you start living your world from the inside out. And so in a daily way, for me, that looks like, you know, a daily practice of meditation and breath work that can be anything from 20 minutes to two hours, depending on the day, depending on, you know, my own level of um, commitment to it. And that fluctuates. No one, um, you know, no one should take these time measurements as their, as their initial start. Like even like two or three minutes a day change the way you perceive reality. You just said it. If you took two minutes a day, Joshua, and you were just to say in those two minutes, I want to just breathe and observe what's going on in my mind and then find a reason to be grateful for, for what is right now. That alone can already start the tides of shift or turn for a person to start sourcing more and more from the inside. Normally, I'm quicker with questions and, and conversation with people, but you are making me think in ways because uh, people probably know I do all these burpees every day and I do my calisthenics every day. And my meditation, I do in like, you know, I'll do like a 10 day, every, not every year, but every couple of years, I'll do, you know, 10 day, the Vipassana, no, no talking, no reading, no writing. And I've kind of put off a daily practice and and maybe I should put a bit of, of solitude of, of thinking at the end or the beginning Sorry, you're making me reflect. I, <laughs> no, that's great. I think, I think you know, part of what we're experiencing, again, in the current uh, global pandemic, just to context it, is that there's a lot of slowing down happening for a lot of people. And so that in the beginning, that feels really uncomfortable. And usually what people want to do is then speed up again in the way we talk, respond, bring attention to something that's basically irrelevant, but just to kind of get over this uncomfortable initial feeling of right now, in this moment, there's a lot of space. Right. And so when we silence this and kind of muffle that with Netflix and alcohol or substances, not to entirely judge that, but I think we're we're not doing ourselves a big favor. And so I, I watch Netflix and, you know, um, I'm currently not drinking at all. But it, there was times in my life when I when I drank and there's definitely times in my life when I consume cannabis, depending on where I am, where it is legal. And so those are OK tools to go to every now and then. But when they take over your you know, the space of you being comfortable with silence or the space of you being comfortable with with just what's present in the here and now, I think, you know, in a personal self-realization journey, that's kind of what we're here for, is to make space and allow to listen to what's coming up in this space. Because the, the Netflix or, or cannabis or alcohol is just an example of the most common things people do in our global society. But Really, if you look at this global society, we already know that we can't we can't keep up with this form of capitalism on a global scale for much longer because we're using fossil fuels, which are like the blood veins of planet Earth, to fuel this society. And so from a scientific point of view, we already know things need to change. And now that uh, COVID-19 has paused a lot of our efforts, we're seeing nature show up with an incredible intelligence in less than, than four weeks, showing us a decrease of pollution, showing us a, an increase of, of like natural playfulness where animals start showing up in city spaces or animals show, start showing up in spaces where they haven't been in a long while. And so this is a great example for how when we slow down and pause, little miracles can start happening. And so I think what it's really about is just to become a, an observer in your own life and realize what are the things you naturally do? What are the things you maybe do to just kind of distract yourself? And then how much willingness do you have to create a little bit more space? And just like burpees, you got to start with the first one. 
If you start with a one-minute meditation once or twice a day, you're already creating more space than you did yesterday. And what shows up in that space, I don't know. It, it, it might just be the uncertainty of like, oh, why am I even doing this? What is this guy saying? Or, or like, what's going on? Like that mental voice, we all have one of those. We all have an inner voice that, you know, kind of is a commentator or a, a narrator about everything. And so becoming more and more aware of this and, and kind of going into the space of, of observing, I think is like the first step into that. So we're not just trying to achieve, but we're consciously making a deliberate space for listening. At the beginning, it's hard to even, it's so easy to be like, I'm not thinking anything right now. And to get started could be a challenge. You mentioned Netflix and actually the, um, I normally don't have it because I don't have a TV and here we have it. And I watched this Bruce Springsteen special of him on Broadway and he was open in a way and raw in a way that I just wouldn't expect of a rock star on a Broadway stage. And it led to this episode on my podcast where I decided I got to start sharing things that have been a big, big, major part of my life that I've completely not shared because you're talking about psychedelics and psychedelics and stuff like that. And I'm a lot of stuff around sex and my relationships with women. And it's just, I kept thinking everyone's got their own thing. My thing is not nothing special. It's like, what, who cares? But then hearing Bruce, if I can call him Bruce, <laughs> To hear him just sharing it, I was like, it really feels good to hear someone connecting with that. It helps you connect. Even though he's connecting with his thing, it helps me connect with my thing. So I, I made a, wrote in my blog, I'm going to start, it, the title is like Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, part one, rock and roll, because it was starting with him. And upcoming soon is going to be the sex and drug stuff. And I have no idea where it's going to go. And I'm, I'm scared talking to you right now about it, except that you're talking about it comfortably. And I was like, oh, maybe this is what I've been waiting for. It's like someone to talk, someone else to bring it up on my show. And then I can bring it up or talk about it. Yeah. I mean, this is a very, you know, I'm glad that you're daring to, to lean out and then find more of the edge. And everyone, including myself, has an edge every day. And I think, you know, when we just do business as usual, um, quotation marks here, business as usual, you know, it's, it's kind of creating a lot of damage in the world. So one of the big realizations right now is hopefully this crisis lasts long enough that we don't go back to business as usual. And so this might sound triggering to some people, but what I'm trying to say is that everything that happens in life is a chance for us to become more raw, more vulnerable, more real, and more connected. And then from that place of more connection and more realness, build and create again. Because what we're currently seeing in the world is humans kind of closing off and only showing the part that is like curated and polished and beautiful. And, you know, I've gone through layers and layers and layers of that myself. But what I'm realizing is that, especially in my friendships and in my partnership as well, like the more raw, real and truthful I am, the more intimacy is possible. And so I would say it's probably very similar on a collective level. If we were to not just wait for a celebrity to say something or a, a sport event to happen or another movie to come out, but we were to actively embrace our own edge. If this is sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or if this is simply something that hurt you when you were younger, or if this is your helplessness right now to deal with a global crisis that maybe left you jobless or maybe forces you to change certain behaviors. I believe it's good to take a very sober look and that kind of reality and, to, and, and, and simply become present with the threats, the risks, the, the fear, 
and the opportunities, the chances and the edge. You know, there's this, this saying about the comfort zone. Like if you don't leave your comfort zone, you won't grow. So I believe that's true. I don't think you have to lean out of your comfort zone all the time, but regularly, I think we're actually intrinsically looking for that edge. We're intrinsically looking for where can I grow? Where can I expand? Where is more of my creative capacity uh, expressed and then seen and witnessed? And so that form of vulnerability, I think is an absolute, I don't want to call it a must, but like it's that form of vulnerability births a lot of creativity. And so I believe there is this audaciousness that needs to come with vulnerability. It's just, just dare to do it, dare to be audacious. And at the same time, this is kind of an oxymoron or like a little bit of a contradiction, but often in the contradictions, there is the gold. A humble audacity is really required because it's not just about me or my edge or my creative expression or what I think. It's really also about deep listening to others, compassion and tolerance. And so for me, that's like a yin and yang interplay between humble audacity or the, 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 the humility and the audaciousness. You have to go into a humble audacity more because as soon as you said it, it was like, that's a really interesting uh, contradiction, complementarity. And I thought you were going to talk for like half an hour there. <laughs> Can you share more about that, this concept? I mean, I could have asked about planetary purpose. I could have asked a couple other things, but this one resonated with me. You know, we never know where these conversations and, and episodes go. And there's a whole body of work around planetary purpose, uh, planetary leadership that, that I've created through Green Planet, Blue Planet, and people can always look more into that. But for, for here right now, I think I'm grateful for you asking more because I think audacity is something that we've almost, you know, created a form of pride around in our culture. Those who dare, those who claim, they get. Those who build big companies, they're the ones on top. And I think to a degree, that just works. And so being audacious and going out there and doing what you dream of, going to your own edge is a very important part of being a human in a society. Because if you don't believe in your own gifts, if you don't go out there to share your own gifts, it's very, very unlikely that others will continuously call you forward. If you're in a very healthy community, that might happen. But to a degree, you're required to learn about your own edge. Now, when only that exists, we're seeing what we're currently seeing in society. We're seeing this like very patriarchal, male-dominant form of claiming, of going out there, of, of daring, of, of building something and kind of recklessly building something. So audaciousness by itself can turn into recklessness. And I think that's when it doesn't have the counterweight, which is what I said with humble audacity or like a humility. And so on the other side of it, in the teachings that, that I've been following and the, the teachers that I learn with, and then also in simply my own experiences, what I'm learning over and over is if you make space for that humility, and that means maybe asking another question or listening a little longer, listening from a space of emptiness, where you're actually curious about what the other person is saying, even if it doesn't have hand or feet or makes a point, even if what the other person is saying is something you don't agree with, making space for that, making space for, you know, an element of uncertainty to come through. I think is a first step of humility. We can practice this every day with our loved ones, with our colleagues, with the people around us. It's longer and deeper listening. On a collective level, that would be a very different style of leadership, right? If we continuously, really, truly listen to each other. If you look at the political debates, and I've been like, blessed in that sense to see them in a few different countries, because I grew up in Germany and, and have watched them recently there. You know, I usually, um, right now I'm in San Francisco, but usually live in Canada and I've watched them there 
definitely seen the U.S. debates. If you look at those political debates about election times, around election times, there's, there's very little humility and deep listening. There's a lot of yelling at each other and waiting till you say something that I can jump on and pointing out that you're wrong. And so that's maybe audacious and really strong. But, but in itself alone, I think we're, it's, in those debates, it's very obvious how, you know, how empty of value it is and how little it actually connects to what, make, I'm making this example with politics for a reason, how little it connects to true leadership for the people. You know, in, in none of those debates, neither in Germany, nor in Canada, nor in the U.S., have I ever seen someone saying, hey, guys, let's come back to focus in a calm way. Let's come back to focus and really understand what's best for the people of this country. Usually it only goes into the audacity of the ego being like, but I'm claiming this and you are wrong. And so if audacity is not matched with humility, I think it's a misleading uh, kind of quality. But when we're matching these, these kind of qualities, and, and as you said, like it's a contradiction and, and that's kind of a beautiful um, complementary contradiction. It's like, if you go too far into one direction, you're lost. But if you're going into one direction and have the other side, the other polarity, uh, you know, at heart or at mind, there's like a way through the middle. And that way through the middle, you know, in the ancient Taoist teachings is often referred to as Wu Wei, the, the way of non-ado also, the way of, you know, acting in harmony with nature. And so long story, uh, kind of coming to a full circle here, I think this is also what a global crisis could be as an opportunity. The opportunity here is to understand what is the more harmonious way to live with nature? What is the more harmonious way to build cities where maybe pandemics don't have a chance to survive? What is the more harmonious way to understand the inherent intelligence that is here on this planet? And so these questions, I mean, they're not new. I'm not the only one asking them. And I'm, by, by all means, I'm not uh, the only person that, 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 that speaks about that. I think these are topics that are becoming more and more relevant every day, every month, every year. And so as a society, I wish and I pray that our, you know, our development, our maturity allows for that humility. So we can look at the weakest link in our societies. We can look at the most fragile in our society and not disregard them or leave them behind, but include them into where we're going. Yeah, your treatment of humility is really, I, I would have paired with audacity, something like self-deprecation or humor, but that is kind of taking me out. And I'm reading humility as, as actually strength and engagement and listen, a lot of listening and, and, and activating the other, whoever the other might be. And yeah, so it's a nice pairing. <laughs> yeah, I think what you're saying there is interesting because it's activating the other, but also the other in you, right? So the, the part in you that is not clear yet, that's not solid yet, that's not fully deliberately um, developed yet, right? So when we're listening to stillness, and you might know this from Vipassana, there is a, a, a large sense of discomfort that also shows up. And at some point, maybe you transcend that and you transform that and then you're like, oh, wow, I'm just here. This is amazing. But to a degree, you kind of have to face that inner voice. It's like, oh, really? We're doing this again? <laughs> Come on, man. Like just being silent and sitting here, that, that's not a lot of doing. You should create more or whatever the voice actually says. And so facing that other in yourself and then the others outside of ourselves, I think is a fundamental part of evolving as a species or evolving into the next stage of, our, of, of ourselves. And we kind of got to this expression of humble audacity in our conversation today, because you shared that when 
you know, when you watch the Bruce Springsteen documentary, there was a daringness in the way he spoke about his sex, drugs, and rock and roll that inspired you. Because that edge in our own personal uh, self, and, and I mean, sex and drugs will definitely get you to, to that edge because everyone has a different experience with that. It might be scary, but once you go beyond the scary point, once you show vulnerability, vulnerability usually leads to more connection and then more intimacy. Maybe not with everyone, but with the people that can actually see you for who you are when you share what you're sharing. Do you mind sharing your experience? I mean, COVID has come up a couple times here. And I think that's what brought this up. Do you mind sharing your experience or some of it? Yeah. You mean about like the, the lockdown, the uh, isolation and so forth? Oh man, so many different angles to come at. It's like you can't even tell what's going to happen the next day. Like you can't even tell, how do I put it? It's like beyond unpredictability. It's, it's unpredictable and it's unpredictableness. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's beautiful. Let me, let me drop into like my own experience. I think first I want to acknowledge all the pain and the suffering that's happening because there is a real disease going around and there are people that are sick and there are people doing a great job at, you know, finding a way to fight this. And, and those are doctors and healthcare workers and so forth. And however, on a global level, many more people die from hunger, starvation, famine, uh, improper sanitary situations every year than people have died from COVID so far. And so I think we as a species have kind of deliberately looked away from that. And so for me, it's facing a lot of these shadow sides of ourselves and then also of myself where I'm like, well, even though I've created a, a show with over 180 episodes at this point where I'm bringing some of the experts together and meeting them in person and seeing what we can do to create more of this kind of leadership, really, like there is still a lot of work to do on this planet. And so in these last four weeks, um, I kind of went up and down the emotional roller coaster. You know, the resilience to deal with uncertainty, and I can talk more about that in a minute, is something I've, I've been practicing for a long while. But when everyone is feeling this like, threat to their existence, to the way we're used to life. I think in the collective field, a lot of us could feel it. Things were slowing down. People were facing a deeper state of emotions. And so, yeah, for a few days, it felt kind of weird. It felt kind of fragile. And I felt kind of like, yeah, faced with some of my like lower vibing thought forms, you know, or like habits that I haven't done in a while. Like just literally, as I, as I kind of called it out earlier, like just spending a whole weekend being like, huh, I don't know what to do. Let me just find a show and watch the show today. And so I don't think there's something inherently wrong with it if you do that every now and then. But after a weekend of binge watching, you know, I pop out on the other side being like, oh, wow, this could turn into a waste of time. Let me now connect back to my center and realize what is it I actually want to do in this time. And so I did, I did go through that kind of roller coaster, and I mean, luckily in my personal situation, my, my partner and girlfriend, she came um, back to San Francisco right before the city kind of shut its airport for a while. And we're here together, which is a great opportunity to grow together, to, to you know, create more intimacy, to create more vulnerability and new kind of healthy habits. And at the same time, and many of you are possibly experiencing that as well. It's also like challenging, right? We're in a two bedroom apartment and all of the habits that are not healthy, they're definitely showing up. They're definitely coming up. And so, you know, for us, what that meant was two or three longer conversations where we're just trying to get to the, the bottom of like, what is it that keeps me perceiving it this way and you perceiving it that way? And how can we connect over it again? And so those conversations 
are usually the conversations that you just don't make time for. And then, so now in this situation, we, we went deeper and deeper into, I wouldn't call it healing, but just like a, a deeper understanding. And what I said earlier, like a deeper listening. So very much what I shared in the beginning of this episode is also very real in my personal cosmos, right? It's very real in my personal experience. Beyond that, I think uncertainty that's showing up right now, and you said it with your question, like it's uncertain what's going to be uncertain tomorrow. To be honest, I think that's the natural state of this, this world. And we as humans have for hundreds of years tried to create a machine that answers that uncertainty, like the Newtonian paradigm of seeing the world as a machine. And then all of our efforts through the industrialized economic system and the capitalistic economic system to create a certainty for tomorrow, to create stock markets, to create pension funds, to create income structures. And I think we're seeing that they're just another version of illusion. Because right now, none of these things is really granted that it's going to be around in six months, right? People are losing their jobs in the millions. Um, A lot of these ideas that we had for years that people can't work from home and like everybody has to go to work for five days a week, a lot of that suddenly isn't real anymore and people can totally work from home. And so I think the opportunity here is to find a higher degree of alignment or peace with uncertainty and understand Uncertainty is nothing we need to fear, but we have to become present with every moment and every day and then realize what are what is the next step forward. And so that's what I'm experiencing in this global pandemic right now. I also want to say that there are a lot of conspiracy theories around, and I've read into quite a few of them. And usually, no matter which one I follow, what happens is my energetic vibration lowers. And so I want to encourage everyone if you're drawn to read alternative angles on this on this story right now go and get your 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 toes wet but but don't get lost in it don't get lost in this media and information war that is happening because we are being bombarded right now with all kinds of stories all kinds of threats all kinds of fears and really i think the biggest challenge for us is to learn to to find this still point of you know finding your internal judgment that's not just echoing the opinion of someone else, not just echoing what a newspaper said, but really being able to inquire and go beyond that is like, who's written this article? Like, who's financed this? Whose perspective is this? Who owns this TV channel? All right. And so what is the actual, like, most neutral point of information? And what is most, you know, um, responsible to do from this neutral point of, of view? And, and just a pragmatic example, like, You know, in New York, people didn't take the situation as serious as people took it in, let's say, the Bay Area and San Francisco. And so in New York, shops and work stayed open for another, I believe, 10 days longer than out west in California. And suddenly, New York is one of the worst epicenters in the whole world for this pandemic. Because this neutral step of saying, well, wait a second, this might actually really be a virus that is dangerous to our society was kind of put aside for four days, five days, six days, seven days. And that was seven days too, too long, right? And so those are pragmatic examples where I think when we inform ourselves, sometimes these next steps of action or whatever is, is really required, they become apparent. And in, in this case, unfortunately, it means staying at home and it means facing this completely new reality that no one was able to anticipate even four months ago. Yeah, there's this weird dichotomy that you have to, at the beginning, you have to recognize, of, as we know, 
that there are people suffering, there are people dying, there are people in pain. And although that was always the case, and I hope I'm not sounding callous or, or dismissing anything, but there is a tremendous opportunity here that a lot, I mean, there's some things that I don't think anybody wants to continue, although it's an interesting experience of like not touching your face or seeing someone. It's an interesting thing to spend time with someone you love and not be able to hug them. I don't want that to last the rest of my life, but it does force me to think about the nature of a relationship and the slowing down that you described. As you're saying, I'm thinking, yeah, I, there's some slowing down that I've done, but there's some slowing down that I haven't done. And it's, it's, it's there. It's there for me for the taking. And it's easier not to. I mean, it's easier to when you sense that on the other side of, of reflection or discussion or conversation or personal challenge, you see that there could be, and there almost certainly will be, personal growth, personal development, uh, emotions that you haven't faced for a while. And they're not going to kill you, but it's easier not to. And it's this opportunity that we all say a lot of the stuff we say, like, oh, I should really do more of that. And here's this chance to do it. Some of it's forced on us. I mean, a lot more people are not flying right now. A lot more people, as you say, are working from home and things like that and spending more time with people and spending way time, spending less time with people. The opportunity for personal growth and challenge or, or, well, the challenge is kind of forced on us in some ways, but we can choose not to take it. We can binge the whole time. I mean, some people, it's like they're stuck with the news. Like you talked about who is it? Where are they? What are their motivations? To me, that was like the next question. It's like, what do they want from you? Do they want you hyped up? Do they want you? And we have the chance to do this now. I guess we've always had the chance. Now, I guess it's more, uh, you can't miss it. Yeah, it's more apparent, right? It, these challenges become more and more obvious. And I think, you know, my number one hope is that as many people as possible do not go back to quotation marks, business as usual, but really use this crisis as a chrysalis a chrysalis of transformation, right? That when the, the caterpillar, who's a very destructive creature in, you know, if you just isolate the caterpillar, like eats everything in and around itself. But when the caterpillar goes into the chrysalis, it kind of doesn't know where, it, where it's going, right? Like we, we even know that some of the cells that are in the butterfly later on haven't been present in the caterpillar. We call them imaginal cells that actually turn to goo. And in that goo, the butterfly emerges. And so uh, I hope that for many, many people, crisis can turn into chrysalis. And then for a lot of the people that are, you know, seeing the fear that, that's out there, I think, you know, it's, it's really hard to hold the vision of Armageddon and apocalypse and utopia at the same time. And so you kind of have to choose. Are you on the team doomsday that is like consistently afraid, trying to predict and waiting for a doomsday scenario? Or are you actually ready to, and this is what the word apocalypse really actually means in, in the Greek etymology, are you ready to unveil and then choose based on that unveiling and looking at the truth? The truth is that we are co-creating this experience together. And we have a lot of power to where we choose to put our focus. And so if you, you know, and utopia doesn't mean that everything is fine. It just means that we are living in harmony with the natural intelligence of this planet there would still be contrasts and challenges. And I think right now, millions of people are kind of forced maybe, but are kind of aware of that step that we're in. And, are, and I assume that most of the people listening are listening to this because they already either know this or have an inkling about this. 
Now, this doesn't mean you know exactly what to do next. That's why what I said in the beginning is, is a vital next step is like deeper listening. I don't know what your true purpose is. I don't believe purpose is just building a business and making money. Purpose is something that is truly, you know, connecting you to that form of prosperity that is inherent in the, in the natural way of, of the universe or of, of life. And then your individual expression of it will actually serve the collective. It will always have to do with service, either of service to a few people or your immediate family or to the entire collective. But a true purpose is most likely connected to a form of service. And it can serve yourself as well. Like there's no problem with wealth. There's no problem with, with currency or, or richness in that sense. Well, in fact, nature is incredibly rich. But there's a problem when that is based on a win-lose game where another person has to lose because you're winning. And so I think these topics are now becoming, they're like, they're becoming unveiled. And so everyone listening and then the two of us, we have to choose. Are we on the team Doomsday or are we on the team Utopia? If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. Yeah, you talk about the our personal choices and also a lot of people are saying, I hope this stuff sticks. I hope that that people learn from this experience. And I feel like the the leadership role, one of my working definitions of leadership and the main one I go for is uh, leadership is helping people do what they wanted to do, but haven't figured out how. If they can do it on their own, often they will. If they If they don't want to do it, I don't want to lead people to do things. It doesn't make sense to lead people to do things they don't want to do. But often, oftentimes, they know that something's there. They're busy. They're distracted. They're, they've got other priorities. Th- th- things, you know, urgent, important things are occupying their mind. And I think that leadership is, in this instance of time, well, at all time, but I mean, now it's to help people change, hoping for the best to acting and committing and expecting the best or, you know, not just hoping. I mean, I love hope. I hope for a lot of things. I don't want to rely on hope. Of course, I don't want to overburden myself or think that I can do more than I can. But we do underestimate what we can achieve in, let's say, a decade, right? We usually overestimate what we can achieve in a year and then underestimate what we can achieve in a decade. And so this decade has just begun and it is 2020 going to 2030. And we know scientifically on an ecological scale, this is the decade where a lot of change is required of us so that our economic structures are not harming the planet and each other ultimately, right? And so the interesting experience during this pandemic and our industrialized efforts kind of being on pause for a while is the the fast way of how nature's intelligence says, oh, hi, here I am. I'm actually able to recover way faster than you guys think. You just need to make the space for me to recover. And then in that space, we can co-creating possibly a, a, you know, a slightly different form of economy. And, you know, my, my value system that I think needs to be implicit in our economic effort is, is simply at the triple bottom line of people, planet, profit. Some people call it a quadruple bottom line of people, planet, profit. 
purpose. I think purpose is kind of, you know, included because when making profit and economic efforts take the interest of the planet and the interest of the people into consideration, a lot of economic decisions look different. And that doesn't mean that things will instantly be imperfect and that we'll never have any problems anymore. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that there are certain practices in this current world and in this current paradigm that are obviously not supporting us to live in harmony with nature. And so in my understanding, belief system and uh, realization, we, we are actually one with nature. Like We are nature. We are an expression of nature. We could not exist without this planet. Maybe in a future, future version of us, we can exist on another planet. But really, I believe the way there is to live in harmony on this planet. Yeah. And then if we're inclined, possibly explore our cosmic neighbors. I'm going to ask something. I don't know if this sounds out of the blue, but do, does population ever pop into what you your views is so demand sharing? Because I know this is, most people don't approach this topic. Well, we're at like what, like 7 billion people on the planet? Closer to eight now, from what I heard. No, I'm, I'm happy to share about population. Like my belief is this, and not everybody might agree, but I think there's more than enough space on this beautiful spaceship Earth for 7 billion people. There's probably enough space for, I don't know, 8, 9, 10 billion people. If and only if the ways we're creating systems, structure, governance, eco economy, if they're in harmony with the principles of nature. And so if they're not, 7 billion people is already kind of the borderline of what we can hold here. But if they are, and if we're moving towards a, a, a society that, you know, practices biomimicry, I mean, everything comes back down to energy. If we continue to gain energy through burning fossil fuels, it's going to be pretty tough. You know, it's going to get more polluted. And at some point we'll have more climate catastrophes happening. But if we're able to, well... I'm going to share like the far out thought. If we're able to uh, reach a point of understanding zero point energy, the way Nikola Tesla spoke about, a complete different reality is possible. And if we're able to do the intermediate step and, and connect to the abundant energy of, of wind, water, and obviously sunshine, energy alone and energy creation for our society will harm the planet less and less. Obviously, like we know from the electric car, just driving an electric car or vehicle doesn't make you a greener person because the batteries and the way it's produced, et cetera. But it's a micro step forward. And so if we don't take those micro steps forward audaciously, it won't happen. And again, if, if we're not humble enough to also fact check and realize, well, electric cars look really cool and they sound really cool, but they're just the first step because humbly checking in, they're still creating a bunch of pollution. Then, you know, we're in this like, hypocrisy kind of kind of corner where we want to make the things we do look better than they actually look. And so coming back to population, I believe as we are learning to practice biomimicry in our most advanced technologies, there is definitely enough space for a whole lot of people on this planet. And if you look at the world's um, problems like, you know, starvation, hunger, unsanitary experiences, et cetera, we actually have all the solutions and answers. There is enough food on the planet already. What we have is a distribution problem because distribution is currently in the hand of the economic powers that not all of them, and that this is changing already too, but a lot of them are still looking at profit only. And if you look at profit only, it makes sense to say, oh, I can't share this with this person because I won't make profit. 
But if you look at profit, people, and planet at the same time, you will find a way to distribute food to people that you know, are currently at the bottom of the food chain, quite literally. And so shout out to two of the biggest corporations on the planet, Coca-Cola and Budweiser. You know, there's, there's a reason why everyone in the world knows Coca-Cola. Because Coca-Cola literally has a distribution pathway to reach every person on the planet. What if we had the audacity to demand companies like Coca-Cola, not just to create a, you know, like a green marketing campaign and tell us all the good feelings, but actually use their pragmatic distribution pathways to, to help us as a collective steer against this, this, this crisis of, you know, the first world living out its luxury on, on the back of the third world. That was one of the first things I thought of with the, with the virus, that if there was going to be quarantining and people weren't going to be able to do their jobs, well, the plants are still going to grow in the field. And so food will still be produced. People, there might be difficulties in shipping. it. There'll be difficulties for people to pay for it as they lose their jobs more and more. I don't think we have it in us as a society to just let them die. I think we're going to have to, like, the probably one of the first things we're going to have to reevaluate is, or that we're going to go back to is, well, we got to get food to people. We'll have to get shelter to people. And I really hope that something comes out of this, that we'd say, that we start answering the questions of what do we value most as a society? Yeah, two very pragmatic examples, Joshua, that are already like, you know, flooding the news right now, depending on which news streams you're looking at. In Europe, um, Spain as a whole country is considering to introduce universal basic income to all of Spain's citizens to help them through this crisis. And it's currently being checked and considered. But this is one of the many small examples that if an entire country like Spain is trying this, and maybe it fails, but if it goes right, or if there is something we can learn from it, suddenly we're in a complete new paradigm. Another example is Amsterdam as a city, you know, is currently testing what it will mean to create a donut model economy or a circular model economy so that these basic needs are locally taken care of for everyone. So if you don't have access to certain things, your local community will make sure that you have access to it, if need be, even for free. Because your local community knows if you have access to these things, the, this is why circular, the local community now has another value, meaning you, of being someone who isn't a, um, a threat or a cost factor, but actually now turns into a possibility to create something again, right? And so these kind of insular solutions, the example of Amsterdam and Spain now, I believe, and this came up a lot in, across these first 180 episodes on Green Planet, Blue Planet, islands of sanity and islands in, in, in the metaphorical sense and sanity in the sense of really doing what's right for the good of the people and therefore the good of the planet. Those kind of incubator cells, those, those test examples, they will showcase if this is something that can work for larger parts of the planet, for other cities around the world, for other countries around the world. And so without daring, and now we're back at like going to the edge personally, but then also collectively, without daring to try out things, we won't know. And so this is why I said a few times, like, let's hope we don't go back to business as usual, because all the doomsday predictions about climate, about uh, ocean levels, about pollution, about food, about population, they are only true if we keep doing everything the way we're doing. The moment we start changing things, the results and the consequences change as we're seeing right now with nature recovering in some parts of the world, including like uh, pollution in the Himalaya and in India, including 
the ozone layer, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you're talking about experiments, if that's the right word, in 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 different places. It got me also thinking of of past. This isn't our first pandemic, or certain even our first global pandemic. And usually, when people talk about 1918 flu, or they talk about the Black Plague or polio, it's usually about how to man, manage pandemics, how to or what the death toll was, or how this city did this and that city did that, and these are the different effects. But and I think most people aren't. I think in the mainstream media or even mainstream, just most conversations, I don't think people are yet comfortably, publicly, openly saying this is an opportunity. What opportunity were, I haven't heard of how in past pandemics, was it, did they end up being a opportunity and did social change come from it? Cultural change come from it? Did they try to, or maybe they didn't, they weren't just before those, well, I guess just before 1918, it was a world war. But I mean, maybe because we're such a global species now, maybe there wasn't an opportunity to change and they weren't forced into like 1918 flu. They weren't factory farming like we are today. They weren't encroaching into wildlife like we are today. They did have trench warfare. Anyway, I'm just. I, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a good question. I, I like I like your inquiry there. I think, you know, good point also is is like what it, where is the public narrative around what is the opportunity in this chrysalis? Again, you, you choose. Is it a crisis only or does the crisis turn into the chrysalis of transformation? And so, yes, we never had a pandemic like that whilst technologically being so interconnected and being able to, you know, still call each other on FaceTime or host conversations like this and publish them right away, et cetera. So I think the learning and the implementation that can, can be a, a way different one at this point of our evolution. Make another example, though, like, you know, you mentioned the First World War that kind of just happened right before that pandemic. Think of the Second World War. These experiences in our history, very unfortunate, very massive crises, they changed the state of the world forever. After the Second World War, Europe created what is now the European Union with the first like kind of European trade commission and, and, and exchange, you know? And so we often use crises as opportunities and to introduce new uh, models or new versions of, of, of how we relate to each other. And so I'm sure there will be lots coming out of, out of this one as well. I, what I would wish for is, and, and I'm glad that we found space to talk about it today, but what I would wish for is, is quite a bit more of that in the public narrative. And so, you know, we we got to hold not just our our leadership responsible for, for conscious, transparent leadership, but also our media and uh, our global media channels for really constructive platforms. And, and so I think neither our political leadership, nor our economic leadership, nor our current media landscape really represents that form of conscious and transparent infrastructure. And so maybe I'm too hopeful there that this will happen one day, but I think this is just another shadow side of the profit only or ego first kind of way of living. And, you know, economy is spelled with E-C-O, eco. And so maybe it's time to put eco back into economy. So I'm going to use your talking about media and what's not out there to ask you to share your podcast and where people can find about you. And um, you do coaching too, right? Is if, if people can find out about that from you. Yeah, of course. Thanks for, thanks for bringing attention to that. My podcast is called Green Planet, Blue Planet on any of the places where podcasts are published. You can find it. You can also just type into your browser, greenplanet-blueplanet.com. 
and you'll find my website and all kinds of episodes linked up. Um, yeah, I'm also a leadership coach and I work with executives, CEOs, uh, artists. And what I share a lot is, you know, what I, what I teach a lot it has to do with creating the habits in your life that actually have you get access to it in your own experience rather than just listening to me share what I know, right? And so those habits include breathwork, they include meditation, they include reflective journaling, and I also speak and, and share at events, you know, because this is something that, that I, you know, contradictory to what, what you've, you've embraced with not flying. What, for me, what's really emerged is that there are so many global or planetary communities that I'm a part of and I, I love being a part of. And I love meeting people every year, watching and witnessing their evolution over the years, sharing and being witness in my evolution over the years. And so... If, if that is in Costa Rica for Envision Festival or in Barcelona for the Holistic Vision Symposium, um, those are places I frequently, frequently am, speak at, teach at, share at, and, and learn. Well, thank you for sharing everything that you've shared. I, I think that almost everything you said, I could have gone in, in 20 different directions. And uh, let me leave it with an open invitation to come back uh, anytime you have more to share. I'd love to have you back. Uh, just because I don't think we even got close. We, we, we scratched the surface. Yeah, thank you. This is this is kind of how it works, right? Let's scratch the surface for a first one, and then we see maybe we want to set a clear topic for another episode and just go deeper and deeper inside. Thank you for making the space and for, for listening and for asking the questions. I really enjoyed this. Well, Julian Gudelai, thank you very much. Thank you. After this episode, I recommend you also listen to my appearing on his podcast. I'll show the link in the text. It was, I think, episode 151. Talking to Julian put me in a different frame than usual. I'm not sure if it's coincidence so soon after the Springsteen show that I described and recording the episode with my mom, or maybe it's the coronavirus lockdown that just has me thinking, and I think everybody too. The episode felt more introspective than usual to me, that maybe it's different for you, but it's led me to thinking more openly about the virus and the situation arising from it as an opportunity Again, not to detract from people's experiences here and now, but looking forward, what's going to happen past this month, this year, this decade? What might come of our time locked down? What will happen on its own? What won't happen unless we take responsibility? What does service mean here? What about purpose, meaning, value, action? What do we do differently? What might we do differently? How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.